Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 16. We're coming to the end of our study in the book of Romans today, and we're going to be uh, looking at verses 25 to 27, the doxology that ends this book. Let me read this passage of Scripture for us, and then I'd like to pray after that. Paul writes, Now to him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery hidden for long ages past, but now revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God, so that all nations might believe and obey Him, to the only wise God be glory forever through Jesus Christ. Amen. Father, as we come to this end of this great letter that was written to the Romans and to the church for all ages. Father, may you just encourage and strengthen our hearts. We've enjoyed our time studying about the gospel, its clarity, its implications, its impact upon our world and upon our life. And understanding all that Jesus has accomplished for us by his perfect sinless life and by his substitutionary death on the cross on our behalf. Father, the end is praise. And it just seems so very appropriate to come to the end of this book and to join with Paul in terms of the doxology that he has written. I pray that you would fill our hearts with praise today too as we think of all that you have done for us through Jesus. In his name we pray, amen. Have you ever done something that you enjoyed so much that you didn't want it to end? I know uh, with children it can be like that if you're outside and you're uh, playing catch with them. Sometimes they just want just one more throw. Just one more throw, Dad, and they want to keep going. Or maybe you've seen a really good show and you were disappointed when it came to the end. Well, in a sense, I feel like that coming to the end of the book of Romans. Uh, It has been a rich study, and I hope that you have enjoyed it. I know I have as I have dug into the Word each week. And uh, this particular book... um, explain so clearly what the gospel is and its implications for our life. I was looking back at my notes and really in my ministry I've only had the opportunity to go through this particular book twice now uh, and the last time was 18 years ago and if I wait another 18 years I'm probably going to be retired and that would be kind of sad not to get to go through this once more and so I, I may have to change that schedule at some point. But I'd like us to think about this letter again in kind of a summary way as we look at Paul's letter to the Romans. I'd like you to turn back, if you would, to Romans chapter 1 and look at verses 1 to 6, Paul's introduction to this letter. Paul begins by saying that he is a servant of Christ Jesus, and he has been called to be an apostle, a messenger, one who is sent with this specific message sent by God and set apart for what is called the gospel of God. The book of Romans is about the gospel. That's the theme. And Paul introduces it here by saying that this is the gospel of God. It is his message to the world. This is not Paul's idea or something that he dreamed up. Paul is simply the messenger who has been commissioned now to bring this truth of the gospel to those who have not heard it before. And he tells us that this gospel is something that God had promised 
beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. That God had given us hints, if you will, all the way through history in the Old Testament of what the gospel was about and what its central message is. It started back in Genesis 3.15 where the very first announcement of the gospel is made. Right after the fall in which Adam and Eve had sinned by disobeying God, God speaks to Satan who has tempted them. And he says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And the question comes to Adam and Eve, who is this one? Who is this seed of a woman who is going to crush Satan's head? In fact, in the very next chapter, when Cain is born, Eve thought that perhaps this is it. Perhaps this child is the one who is going to defeat Satan or who is going to crush our adversary. But Cain was not the one. And the wait would begin. The wait for the coming of this one who was promised by God who would be our Savior and our Deliverer. We see another aspect of the gospel in the message that was announced to Abraham. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, God came to Abraham and he called him to leave his people in his country where he was living and to go to a land that God would show him. And he took this man and he said to Abraham, he said that I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He gives this wonderful promise to this man who had no descendants, no heir, no son. And he says that there is going to come a seed, a child from your line who will be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. Who is this seed of Abraham who will be this child of promise? Paul writes concerning this passage in Galatians 3.8 when he said that the Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. And he announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. Isn't that interesting? We tend to think of the gospel as something that was heard in the coming of Christ. And yet here Paul is saying that God announced the gospel in advance to Abraham when he gave him this promise in Genesis 12.3. One of the fascinating studies in Scripture is to trace the line, the development of the gospel and the promise that is given all the way through the Old Testament and to see the narrowing of the line as it goes from Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to Judah. And then you see the promises that are made to David, God's chosen king of Israel that he would have a son whose kingdom would never end. And all the way along the prophets search the scriptures wondering when will this child come. Peter tells us that they knew about the Messiah both about his suffering and the glory that would follow what they did not know was the time. The very same thing that we wrestle with when we think about the second coming of Jesus Christ. We know certain aspects of what that coming is going to be like and what He will do in that day. But we wait. Like these believers of old waited for the coming of Christ once again. And we long for that day. 
What Paul tells us in this introduction to Romans is that this gospel concerns his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through the Spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. The gospel is about God's Son. He is the Son of David. He is fully man. He is the Son of God. He is divine. He is fully God. There is no one else like Him. He is unique. There is no other mediator that has been given between God and man. There is no other Savior, no other Redeemer than this one Jesus Christ. And the Gospel concerns Him. And Paul's assignment from God as an Apostle is to call the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. It was to bring the gospel to the nations, to those who had not heard about Jesus, so that they might place their faith in Him and come to know Him. You know, when I look at this particular passage of Scripture in the introduction, all of these themes that Paul introduces in chapter 1, he develops in his letter, And then he brings them together again in the doxology. And he touches on these things as he ends the letter in a way that brings this great chorus of praise to God. And his doxology is such an appropriate ending because the more we understand about God's gospel, the more we want to praise Him. The more we marvel at His wisdom and His power and His grace. So let's take a look as we dig into uh, verses 25 to 27 if you want to turn back there to chapter 16. Paul begins by praising God for His power. God has the power and the ability to do what He has said. And he tells us in this passage that God has the power to make us stand in any circumstance of life. And not only that, but ultimately one day He has the power to make us stand in His very presence without fault and with great joy. Paul wrote in chapter 1 that one of the reasons he longed to see the Romans was so that he could impart some spiritual gift to them to establish them in their faith. Uh, His desire was to go to Rome, to this church that was already growing and doing well, but he wanted to encourage them in their relationship with Christ And he wanted to strengthen them as believers. And so he wrote this letter for that purpose, to explain the gospel in all of its clarity. Paul's desire to establish believers was the same wherever he went. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, Paul said that we proclaim Him, that is Christ, and we admonish and we teach everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect or complete in Christ all to maturity. He wanted to help these believers grow in their understanding of Christ and to live that out in their life every day. That's why Paul labored, he said, with all of God's power within him. That's our calling too, to bring Christ to those who have never heard and to give Him our very best and to labor with all of our power. Paul worked hard at that. But he also knew that ultimately... Only God could establish them. Apart from God's grace and power, we can't do anything. 
And so Paul begins this doxology with praise to God. Now to Him who is able to establish you by my gospel and the proclamation of Jesus Christ, to this God be praise forever and ever. The word established there is kind of an interesting word. In uh, Greek it means literally to, to prop up or to make a stand. It's kind of like someone else from the outside is helping you to stand or lifting you up in some way. And that is what God does for each one of us. Recently I was um, uh, talking to Matt and Deborah, and they had sent us some pictures of our grandson Luke. And I know this is probably shameless to do this in the message, but I'm going to show you a couple pictures this morning. You know, when you think of uh, little kids and their young age, here uh, Matt has propped Luke up in his chair alongside of a theology book on justification. (laughs) And you can see that Luke is there, he's contemplating. Now, do I agree with N.T. Wright's view of justification or do I agree with John Piper's view of justification by faith? And if you're into current theological debates, that's some of what's going on right now, too. But, um, you know, he's sitting in the chair and he's just six months old and he's learning how to, how to sit and stand and it's kind of a cute picture. And then the next one too, if you want to show, uh, here he is standing and you can see his mom is kind of holding him up. That's because he can't quite stand on his own yet. In fact, if she were to let him go, he'd probably fall over like a sack of potatoes. Just kind of crumple right down because he doesn't have the strength in his legs yet. But when I was thinking about this word of what it means to prop us up or to make us stand, that's what God does for us. God lifts us up. God holds us up. In fact, God makes us stand even when we think we can't. Because all of us in life from time to time find ourselves in circumstances that we're not sure how we're going to handle it. It might be unemployment. And you wonder how are we ever going to make ends meet without a job. Or how are we going to get through this time of difficulty in our life? And God is able to make you stand. It might be facing a battle with cancer or another illness or disability, and there are times when you wonder, how can I handle this? I don't know if I can do this. And God comes along, and in His Word, He strengthens us, and He is able to lift us up and to make us stand. And ultimately what the Scripture tells us that is so wonderfully good news for us is that God not only can do that in the circumstances of this life, but He will do that one day when we stand in His very presence. And this lowly, earthly, physical body is going to be changed and transformed and be like Christ's glorious body. And this fallen, sinful person one day is going to be changed and forgiven and made new and we will stand in His presence without fault with no condemnation but sealed in righteousness the righteousness of Jesus Christ and we can't do that no matter how hard we try to make ourselves good or to please God we can't make ourselves stand but God can and one day He will And you hear that testimony of so many people who in their life will tell of circumstances that they have gone through where they just, they didn't know how they were going to make it. I've talked to those that are widows who have felt that loss of separation after many years of marriage. 
And God has given grace to help them through. Or people that are dealing with these difficult circumstances of life will tell you that God gave strength or God gave peace or God gave a power that was beyond my own. To Him be the glory. God is able to make us stand in any circumstance of life. Amen? Amen. That is wonderfully good news. And when I look at these passages of Scripture that express that confidence in God, I I love the benedictions that are in Scripture. And one of my favorite benedictions is found in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, May God Himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. And He will do it. He will do it. You know, there is a a part that we are called to do. We are to be obedient to God and we are to put into practice His Word in our life and we're to walk with Him each day in fellowship. But ultimately, we by our own strength can't make ourselves new or change us. It is the power of God within us. And what a wonderful promise that is that God is faithful to His Word. And God has the power to do it. And He will. Just a side note here regarding um, what are called benedictions and doxologies in Scripture. And just to note the distinction between the two, if you haven't thought about this before, a benediction is a word of praise, a blessing from God upon His people. Like this is a benediction where Paul at the end of his letter, and he often does this, closes with this kind of prayer for the people of God. It's one of the things that I like to do at the end of our worship services is to pray Scripture for us as a word of blessing from God in a benediction sort of way in doing that. A doxology goes the other direction. A doxology is a statement or a hymn of praise that we lift up to God. We bless or praise God for what He has done. And so at the end of Romans, this is a doxology because it's directed toward God. And it praises this One who is able to establish us by His Gospel to the One who is all-powerful, to the One who is all-wise, all-knowing, all-loving. Paul praises God for His power. We are weak, but He is strong. And He is able to make us stand. And the means that God uses to strengthen us is the Gospel. It is the Word of God. Paul tells us that here when he says he is able to establish you by my Gospel now, he calls it. And Paul isn't using my Gospel in the sense of possessive, like this is my idea or anything like that. He is using it in the sense that Paul has been commissioned as an apostle and the message that he has brought is authoritative in contrast to those false teachers who would come or who were making their way around the circuit that wanted to deceive and to distort the true gospel, Paul is saying that this is God's gospel. And if anyone comes preaching a different word from God, let him be accursed. It is that important that we get it right. You know, recently I was reading this story in the news about a pharmacist down in Kansas who committed a very horrible crime. 
He was diluting chemotherapy drugs to make more money. Taking something that they had the ability to help someone to fight their cancer, and he was taking those drugs and he was diluting them. And he got caught in it, and he was charged with 20 felony counts against him for what he had done to the individuals who were in these treatment programs. He was trying to take something that was of tremendous worth and dilute it or change it, and it became ineffective in its ability to heal or cure. You know, I think about the gospel. Some people try to do that as well. They try to dilute it or they try to change it or try to, in a sense, water it down by saying things that are not part of the gospel. There is no other gospel than the one that Paul preached here. There's no other Savior other than Jesus Christ. There's no other way to heaven but through Him. There's no other remedy for man's sin other than the cross of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us. And so Paul stresses that this is where the power comes from to change our life or to bring hope or healing. This is where the strength comes from to make us stand. I love how Stephen Curtis Chapman put it when he said that in the Gospel we discover that we are far worse off than we thought and far more loved than we ever dreamed. Isn't that good? We are far worse off than we thought. We are lost sinners with no hope of ever saving ourselves. But we are far more loved than we ever dreamed and that God loved us so much that He sent His only Son to die for us, to be our Savior. Paul says, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Gospel then is this mystery that was hidden for long ages past, but now has been revealed. There was an aspect of it that was secret, but now has been made known. And I love how he says it here in the Scripture, that this revelation of the mystery that was hidden for long ages past has now been revealed and made known through the prophetic writings by the command of the eternal God. This God who took centuries to prepare a people for the coming of Christ at His command sent His Son. And all of heaven was abuzz with the news of what was about to happen. In Galatians 4.4, Paul writes that when the time had fully come, God sent His Son to redeem those under the law that we might receive the full rights as sons. That all of this time and preparation was building for the moment when Christ would enter our world. When God's Son would come and be born as a baby in Bethlehem. That He would come to identify with us. He would come to take upon Himself our sins, our humanity, our frailty, our weakness. And He would die in our place so that we might receive the full rights of sons adopted into God's family. That's the good news of the Gospel. And that's what God has done here at this time. And His desire then is that all nations might come to believe in Him and obey Him. He wants this Word of the Gospel to go literally to the ends of the earth so that all might come to know Him. It is the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations. 
And we are living in this exciting period of history in which that gospel is running to the ends of the earth more rapidly than ever before. And it is a marvelous thing to see and to hear the stories of what God is doing in different parts of the world. I wish right now that I had sort of an inside window on what is going on in Tehran, Iran. Remember a few months ago I shared with you the dramatic um, spread of the gospel that is taking place in that country. The stories and reports that have come out that they just can't get enough Bibles in the Farsi language and the Scriptures to bring them to the people. There are more than a thousand house churches in Tehran today. Uh, that there is a hunger for the Word of God and there are people that are coming to know Christ. And I just wonder what is happening there in the midst of this protest, this election that took place, that people are objecting to the result and the oppressiveness of the current government. And they long for freedom and change. And I wonder how much this work of God is a part of what's going on in that country. We can think of other places in the world where God is at work and where people are coming to know Christ, whether it's in China or the Sudan or southern Africa or other parts of the Middle East, God is moving. I mentioned that this week uh, our uh, Evangelical Free Church is having their annual leadership conference in Eden Prairie. And last year when I attended the one that was uh, the national conference down in St. Louis, what was interesting was that Uh, we heard the reports of the opening up of a mission field in the Middle East. And when they announced this new work that is taking place through the Evangelical Free Church, they had a Jewish believer introduce a believer from Lebanon and a believer from Egypt that are heading up this particular ministry to the Middle East. And I thought, what a marvelous picture that is of what God wanted to see happen in the Gospel. Jew and Gentile coming together. Jewish brothers and sisters working alongside of Arab brothers and sisters in other countries to bring the gospel to the ends of the earth. And God is doing that in our time and in our generation. It is a marvelous thing to see. And so Paul praises God not only for His power, but he praises God for His infinite wisdom in verse 27. He draws all of these things together that he has been sharing and talking about in the Gospel and he praises Him. The only wise God, to Him be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. Paul had done a similar thing at the end of chapter 11 when in that doxology, when he came uh, to the end of kind of reviewing this plan of salvation in history and God's work among the Jews and then the Gentiles and the grafting in of the Jews once again, he came to his summary in 11.33 and he said, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and His paths beyond tracing out. For who has known the mind of the Lord and who has been His counselor? And who has ever given to God that God should repay Him? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Amen. Who but God could have come up with a gospel of grace? You know, if we had written a plan of salvation, we would probably have written something that involved our earning it. 
our trying to merit it in some way, our doing certain things to accomplish our salvation. But we could never do enough to atone for our sins or to earn our salvation. God saves us by His grace through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. It is a gift to be received by faith. He tells us that in the Scripture, and you know these verses from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. When we get to heaven, there won't be anyone in that place boasting that I got here because I did this or that. You know, it won't be because someone had perfect Sunday school attendance or because someone had shared their faith so many times or because someone had given so much to the church or done this or that. When we get to heaven, all the glory will go to God and we will praise Him for what He has done. And when we see the full impact of this marvelous gift of salvation that's been given, we will stand in awe. I mean, today what we taste with the down payment to the Holy Spirit in our life and the fellowship that we enjoy as believers and the marvelous riches we see of answers to prayer or great times of worship and fellowship together, those are just a foretaste of what is to come. When we stand in His presence and see Jesus in all of His glory and see the Father on the throne and see those who have surrounded Him and all those saints who have gone before us, we will stand in awe and wonder at what He has done. And that's just the beginning. And it will go on and on for all of eternity with new wonders and amazing things as we enjoy God in all of His fullness and glory. That's why Paul comes to the end of his letter and his heart is full of praise. That's how it's all going to end. When we stand before Him and we join with other believers in praise, it is no wonder that Paul writes, To the only wise God be glory forever and ever through Jesus Christ. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. And so he concludes this letter of Romans with praising God for His infinite wisdom and praising God for His infinite power. And we, as the people of God, join Him today. And we say, Amen and Amen. God, thank You for what You have done for us through Your marvelous Gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the richness of this study that we have enjoyed in the book of Romans. We have grown. We have learned maybe some new things along the way, we hope. And we have also had our faith encouraged and strengthened by these reminders of what it means to know You, to walk with You in the power of the Holy Spirit, to serve You in this life and to use our gifts to the fullest to honor You, and to look forward to that day when we will join with our brothers and sisters in Christ, including these Roman believers and the Apostle Paul himself, and we will praise You forever and ever. May our hearts be filled with praise today and may that joy carry out as we go into our week. Help us, Lord, to honor you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' name, amen.